0: Hello and welcome to episode 219 of the non-award winning UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. As people with an interest in true crime, we know only too well how fortunate we all are that fate intervened at some stage to stop us doing something that would have led us to being in the wrong place at the wrong time with potentially devastating consequences. Today's story from the northwest of England illustrates more clearly than ever Her lives can be destroyed just by one fleeting chance encounter. Before we start, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Emily Perry, Joanne McHugh, Hannah Biggs, Claire Round, Rianne Haider, Bob Evans, Harry Tomlinson, Emmy, and Jessica Cook. Thank you so much for all your support. And don't forget to enter the competition for January to win three true crime books. And also do send me your postal address so I can send you some welcome goodies. This episode is brought to you by Yarn. Ever wanted to snoop through someone's phone without getting caught? (laughs) We both know the answer to that one. Are you curious how others live or love? Yep, me too. So why not explore adventure like never before? by tapping through immersive, scary, steamy and thrilling stories through texts, video calls, voice notes and much more on the Yarn app. That's Y-A-R-N. Yarn offers everything for us fans of true crime, from their chat fiction stories to choosing your own adventure experiences and now full audio dramas. What is there not to like? Tap through the most addictive and immersive stories today only on Yarn. Trust me, with over 27 million downloads, Yarn is a must play. Download Yarn for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Yarn, Y-A-R-N. Download it today to watch, read and listen to all your favourite fiction stories. From steamy to horror, Yarn has it all. Let's set some context for today's story and play the game that the whole of the UK isn't talking about, guess the month and the year. Top of the UK music charts was Niles Barkley with Crazy, one of those I used to like, but now couldn't listen to if my life depended on it. Brianna and SOS was top of the US chart, and in Australia, Stadium Arcadium from the Red Hot Chili Peppers was the top album. In the news this month, a major rebellion occurred in São Paulo as members of criminal organisation Primerio Comando da Capital – you can tell that I'm half Brazilian – attacked police officers and stations, eventually escalating to several prisons in Brazil, leaving around 130 people dead. Barcelona beat Arsenal in the final of the Champions League, back in those days when Arsenal in Europe wasn't just a Thursday night thing. And the fifty-first Eurovision Song Contest saw Lordy for Finland win, singing hard rock, <laughs> singing hard rock Hallelu- hard rock hallelujah, in Athens. Sometimes there are just no words. In the UK, campaigners representing Fathers for Justice invaded the set of their national lottery. Did you get the month and year? It was May two thousand and six. So on with today's story. If you've been to college, university or some other major training establishment, do you remember that feeling at the end of the first year? The day when you had completed all the work, found a way through the exams, been out to the last party and then were on your way home for the summer looking forward to catching up with friends and family. This is just how 19-year-old Tom Grant was feeling on the 27th of May 2006. He'd just completed his first year's study at St Andrews University on the east coast of Scotland where he was studying for a degree in Arabic and Medieval History. Today he'd been up early to catch his train to Glasgow and from there he was getting another train home to Gloucestershire. Tom was enjoying his time at university and he was super excited about the future. And why not? Life was good for Tom. An only child to Kenny and Patricia, he'd enjoyed an idyllic childhood where he excelled academically and in sport. He'd attended Oakham School in Rutland until the summer of 2005, where he'd really enjoyed his time at the school. Tom achieved top grades in history, politics, and French at A level, and he got an A in his German AS levels. His dad was an RAF squadron leader, and Tom was really keen to follow in his footsteps and pursue a career in the services. Tom had been especially active in the Oakham School Combined Cadet Forces and had attended the pre-regular commissioning board at Sandhurst. Tom had continued with his interest at St Andrews and after university he really hoped to become an officer in the army or potentially join the Royal Marines. Tom was a very active man who loved hill-walking especially the trips he took in the Scottish Highlands. He enjoyed being outdoors and recently he'd enjoyed sailing in Norfolk with his school friends, skiing in the Austrian Alps and a trip to Oman where he enjoyed spending time in the desert. He was a huge sports fan and a big supporter of Liverpool Football Club. He was a decent player too and had captain in the school's first 11 football team. As you can see, he was a really good guy all round. And in recognition of his all round efforts, the school awarded him its prestigious WW w. Holman Prize for the pupil of the most promise, endeavour and achievement. But more than this, and I know it's a cliche, he was a really, really popular pupil too. Loads of friends, great company. But today, Tom was just looking forward to getting home. He had to change trains at Carlisle to catch the 10 past 10am, 10 Virgin Service to Painting in Devon to get back to home in Gloucestershire. He was on the station with his rucksack and his bike when he happened to notice a particularly loud man. He didn't know him. This man was called Thomas Wood. He was standing not far from Tom. 22-year-old Thomas Wood was on the platform with his girlfriend, Sarah Chadwick, another female friend of theirs and her two young children. The two women were talking about food and what they planned to eat that evening. Tom overheard Wood intervene in the conversation and aggressively say that he would rob his girlfriend's food later that evening. Interested in who was saying this, he quickly glanced over and in a split second looked away again without saying anything, just as you and I have done on numerous occasions but Wood didn't appreciate this and he said to Tom, What the fuck are you looking at? I'll stab you in a minute. Tom wisely just ignored Wood, kept his head down as he waited for the train. When it arrived, Tom got on and sat at the far end of the carriage near his bike. Wood, the two women, and the two children with them, sat in the same carriage which was full of passengers. Once on the train, Wood was again being difficult. This time he began arguing with his girlfriend about train tickets. It was a really one-sided dispute. She was being reasonable, but he was loud and boorish. In fact, he was just plain nasty, so much so that he left her in tears. The whole carriage was aware of what was going on. They were just hoping that he would get off as soon as possible. We've all been there, right? Woods then got up from his seat and began walking up and down the carriage in a very intimidating fashion, staring every single person in their seat. Nobody returned his glance. One passenger would later describe it like he was stalking, looking for someone to make eye contact with him, which would give him an excuse to cause trouble. Everyone did all they could to avoid looking at him, but equally they were all very aware of him and just where he was in relation to them. It was a very tense situation, and not what you'd expect on a train packed with families and children at 10.30 in the morning. As the train passed the Cumbrian village of t not too far east of the beautiful Lake District town of Kendal, Wood left the carriage much to the relief of everybody travelling. But he returned just a few seconds later, and now he was brandishing a knife that he had taken from his girlfriend's friend's house earlier that morning. Sitting closest to the door when he emerged was Tom Grant, who was still just minding his own business. As if in slow motion, Wood stopped and looked at him, before rapidly plunging the knife in a quick and forceful downward movement towards Tom and then quickly bounding back from him. Tom cried out, I've been stabbed, as he slumped in his seat. It was the last words he would ever speak. Calmly, his assailant, Woods just said, He's dead. The scene in the carriage was one of absolute terror. Families ran for their lives and there was screaming and shouting. The train manager, having been alerted to the situation, locked the sliding door, meaning that Wood was shut in the carriage on his own. He went absolutely berserk at that and began desperately kicking out at the door the window and making those of the other side terrified that if he managed to break through the door, then he would attack them too. The train then slowed as it approached the next stop, Oxenholm. Wood was still desperately trying to escape. When the train pulled into Oxenholm station, Wood finally escaped through a train window after smashing it with a hammer and throwing a fire extinguisher through it. Immediately, the terrified passengers Ran towards Tom, fearing the worst but desperately keen to offer help, but tragically he was already dead in his seat. Tom Grant was just 19 when he died. He'd been stabbed with such force that when the knife was eventually found, it was broken in half. The cause of his death was a single stab wound to the chest, which had gone through his lung into a main artery. Meanwhile, Wood tried to make his escape across fields in the rural surroundings as the police swarmed the area searching for him. Wood eventually ran into a farmer and tried to explain his blood-covered state by saying he'd been cut by barbed wire. The farmer accepted his story, there was no reason not to, and happily drove Wood to a nearby bus station, but en route they were intercepted by a police car at a roadblock, and Thomas Wood was arrested and taken into custody. The people on the train who had witnessed Tom's murder were traumatised, and some had to receive professional help to help them deal with their experience of that day. And of course, Tom's family and those who had known him best were utterly distraught. His parents said, He had so much to live for. He was a wonderful gift to us, his parents. He has left us with vibrant memories and examples of how to give the most to life and other people and we sincerely hope that all those with whom he came into contact were enriched, in however small capacity, by his personality. Oakham's headmaster said, I suppose it's somewhat of a cliché to say that the good always die young, but in Tom's case this couldn't be more true. He was a real winner in every aspect of the phrase, Tom was very modest about his achievements, but the truth is he was just that kind of pupil that every teacher wished would take up their subject. Just two weeks before he died, he returned to the school for our inspection of the Combined Cadet Force. He seemed so alive and so buoyed of enthusiasm. It's very difficult to come to terms with the fact that his vitality has been taken away in the most brutal and violent way imaginable. As those who had known Tom struggled to make some sort of sense about what had happened. Detectives tried to understand what had made Thomas Wood act in such a terrible way that day. And what they discovered was deeply unpleasant. Woods had been in front of the court over 40 times and had seen time inside prison. The offences included 12 driving offences, 13 thefts and burglaries, 4 offences against property, 8 breaches of bail, and carrying a lock knife. He'd only been released early from his last sentence two weeks before the murder. Although sentenced to six months for two burglaries, The authorities deemed that he was suitable for early release when just halfway through his sentence. Wood had suffered a tough childhood on a rough estate in Skelmersdale, Lancashire. The eldest of five children, he was diagnosed at just eight with behavioural problems and sent to a number of specialist schools. He still got into lots of trouble, mainly for fighting and vandalism. But he'd been subjected to severe violence at home where his dad regularly attacked his mum. When Wood was in his teens, his mother was finally able to escape the terrible domestic violence she faced, but this did mean that Wood was left with his father as the only role model. And he did nothing to discipline his son whenever he got into trouble. It was only a matter of time before he was convicted of an offence. If anything, it was only a surprise that this didn't happen until he was 16, and that it wasn't for violence, instead being for shoplifting. You can almost tell the sorry tale from there, leaving school with no qualifications and no inspiration for the future. Although he did work in a factory for a short period of time, he was soon content living on benefits, hanging out with a crowd of other young people on his estate, causing problems for the local people and intimidating those families trying to lead their day to day lives. As he got older, he became a decent sized unit. He genuinely scared people due to his size, strength and his couldn't care less attitude. And he wasn't averse to using violence on his girlfriends. If they even went out of their friends, as he just always wanted to be at the centre of their world, he was insanely jealous. Once they realised just how nasty he could be and how quick he was to lose his temper, they tried to get away from him. But as we know, it isn't always that easy. His girlfriend, who was with him on the day he murdered Tom, Sarah, had been punched by him on a number of occasions, including once when he'd punched her in the stomach repeatedly when he believed that she was pregnant. And in the days before the murder, Sarah had tried to break up with him to avoid his possessive violent attacks. They'd been to stay with her aunt in Cumbria, but even during that week he threatened to kill her a number of times. he tried to throw her out of a window and had hit her in front of her young cousins. Even on the way to the train station in Carlisle on the day of the murder, Sarah told him they were finished. But when she told him that, he continued to tell her that he would kill her, he began pushing and shoving her around, and even told her that he was going to burn her flat down. By the time they reached the station, Sarah told detectives how he was high on cannabis, and in a very sulky, volatile mood. Even before they got on the platform, Wood had torn up his train ticket during a row with his girlfriend. She had told him that if he didn't have a ticket, he would have to pay a fine or be removed from the train, to which he stated, no I won't, because I'll stab him. Sarah didn't realise at the time that he was in fact armed with a knife. In custody, Wood responded to the questioning by claiming it was all an accident. Wood had claimed to police that he'd felt intimidated by Tom on the platform at Carlisle and said he intended to threaten Tom but he hadn't planned to stab him or physically hurt him in any way. He said he was just holding the four-inch knife in his hand when the sliding door jolted him, causing him to accidentally stab Tom. But in court, he finally changed his ridiculous story and admitted that he was guilty of murder. There was silence in court as he pled guilty and his plea could hardly be heard inside the packed court as he spoke so silently and was told to sit down. There was no reaction from the packed public gallery as the prosecution case was read to the court. Witnesses spoke of their sheer terror that day. The train manager told how Wood reacted when he was locked in the train carriage saying, He went berserk and he was kicking the door that I had just locked using his foot to kick backwards. He was then kicking the rubber between the two doors, going absolutely berserk. I could see him going mental. Thank God I'd locked that door. He was just like a madman. I was afraid he was going to kill me. Another passenger said of him, I will not forget the look on his face. He looked like a lunatic, a crazed person. I've never been so scared in my life. For the murder of Tom Grant, Thomas Wood was sentenced to life in prison. With the judge stipulating a minimum term of 21 years. Passing sentence, the judge said, the killing was entirely unprovoked. The victim was entirely blameless. The murder was committed in the public place, a packed railway carriage. Many people, including children, were shocked and terrified by what had happened. After the carriage had been evacuated and the train manager had locked him in the carriage, his crazed behaviour, as he tried to break out, caused staff and other passengers to fear their own lives were in peril. Speaking after the trial, Tom's dad said some brief words about his son. He had great potential to make a significant contribution to society, but this potential has been needlessly wasted. There is no good way to die, but our son died in a cruel and random manner. For us the way ahead is dark lit only by memories of our dear son, by the love and support of family and friends, and by the spirit of Thomas's wonderful young friends and colleagues from school and university. So what do you make of what you've heard today? Could this story be any more shocking? I'm struck by the contrast between Tom Grant, with everything to live for, and Thomas Wood, who was living what was, frankly, a miserable existence. Hurting even those closest to him. Then one day, randomly, their paths collided, and Tom just happened to be standing near Wood when he lost his temper again on the platform. If that had been you or me, we too would have sneaked a glass at the man who was causing the disturbance. But to die for this? It's just beyond any level of understanding. Do you have any sympathy at all for Wood and the circumstances of his life? that made him so angry and volatile. There are some who believe that a monster like this should be killed for his crime, and others who think that in his own way he too was a victim. But this, I guess, isn't the podcast to discuss this. And as he now sits in his cell as you listen to this podcast, I wonder if he is now starting to show remorse for his actions. He showed none ahead of the trial, but as he has matured, I wonder if he now has. But of course our real sympathies today lie with the family and friends of 19-year-old Tom Grant, whose life was suddenly and inexplicably taken away on that spring morning. He had so much promise, and now he'd have been, what, 35? It must be so hard for his family to think about just what he may have become as he fulfilled the tremendous promise he'd shown up until. His pointless death. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast, the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast. To discuss this story <laughs> and any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group. And to support this show, win true crime books, and get all the other behind-the-scenes benefits for as little as a can of tenant Super a month, just get over to patreon.com slash UK true crime. I'll see you there. So that's all for me for this week. I keep getting asked about my references to the sauna capital of the world, Rochdale, where in the dripping heat and amongst the writhing bodies, even the Kings of Leon sounds tolerable. Okay, so I may have lied about the last bit. But to understand the Rochdale references, just go and listen to episode 105, Sex Games. So on that racy bombshell, I'm out of here for another week to try and get my YouTube live channel sorted so next week I can broadcast live to Patreon supporters. Sorry about this week, guys. So until next Tuesday, take it easy. And despite all the others, most of all, stay classy. Cheerio.